Hi, this is Daniel, and you're listening to the podcast, Your Word is a Lamp. And today we are on a going deeper episode with Pastor Nate as we discuss the temptations of Christ as portrayed in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. I hope it's helpful to you. Hi, this is Daniel. And I'm Nathan. And we are going deeper here on our last sermon. So this is, uh, what is today, the 25th? Yeah. Of January, and yesterday, the 24th, we uh, preached on the sermon, no, not the sermon about the temptations that Jesus had right before the Sermon on the Mount. So you listened to that, did you have any initial thoughts, Nate? Yeah, yeah, I thought it was good. I, I like how we're unpacking uh, how the Word of God applies to our lives in a bunch of different areas whether it's giving us joy and helping us receive the life that God has given to us or like yesterday pointing out that we are all in the spiritual battle and the word uh, is what Jesus uses as in in Matthew 4 uh, when he's tempted so right I think it just is really good to see that the word of God is active and alive yeah that's what I love about the story is we see how it's being used by Jesus, our example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask you a couple questions first, kind of to unpack the sermon a little bit more and then sure. to kind of work into some some personal application of it. How, you know, what scriptures have you found helpful or what what would you say? Uh, what scriptures would you give to people struggling with specific sins? Right. Um, but first, I thought it'd be good to to just kind of look at the story once again. Jesus being tempted in the desert during his forty day fast, which is incredible, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I just curious. Um, how do you think? I, I'm just imagining a forty day fast and just thinking like. I don't know. That, that just blows my mind. I don't know if I have a specific question. I'm just <laughs> kind of blown away by how difficult I feel like that would be. Yeah, that's actually the outer limits of human fasting from what I understand. Really? Yeah. 28 to 40 days is the most most people can go without food. I was going to ask you a physiology question. I mean, just like, how would somebody come out of that fast? I mean, because you can't just start eating normally again. I feel like it would destroy you or your body wouldn't be able to process it or something so yeah i've been told that um coming out of a long fast like that you probably want to start with something like fruit juices and then maybe soft fruits or vegetables and kind of build up Hmm. i think i heard that uh, some people rescued from nazi concentration camps were given like sugar cubes or something after that so fruit juices makes sense yeah and that didn't work out too well for them Oh, I didn't? No. Oh. Well, maybe it did, but I was thinking something. Anyway, go ahead. Um, it being rescued from that after the war was over and all right. that. Was anyway, so I want to look at Jesus' three temptations here uh, that, that Satan tempts him, him with. The first one of these, Satan says, hey, turn these stones into bread. Right. And looking at this, it's like, why would that, why would that have been a sin for him? To just turn it into into bread. Sure. And, and you notice he prefaces that if you are the Son of God, and, and right before this chapter 4, the end part of chapter 3, Jesus 
is baptized, there's a voice from heaven saying, this is my son. Hmm. So he's kind of, Satan's kind of playing off on that. He, he knows exactly where we are in our relationship with God, I think. But he's also testing this, and he's also using this very thing to increase the temptation. If you are God's son, really, I mean, why isn't God providing for you here? You're about to starve. Make these stones of bread. And I think the reason it's a, it's a sin is because Jesus had understood that he was, in a sense, reliving, not by his choice, but by God's, the temptations of the people in Israel. And the primary temptation that they faced was that of food and water and, uh, and not trusting God. So whenever they would grow hungry, they would grumble and complain against God instead of waiting for his provision. So I think Jesus is, is understanding that he is being tested right now in how long, how well he will wait for God to come through, God the Father, rather than doing things in his own power. Hmm. One of the things I found super interesting throughout this whole message was the way that you tied it back into the, the Old Testament in Israel and how Jesus is the coming of uh, kind of Israel fulfilled. And I know Jesus says um, the law, I didn't come to abolish the law, right. but to fulfill it. And so he's kind of explaining. And I just, I thought that was really interesting throughout this. Do you have any comments on that? Well, yeah, and that's something I've kind of learned in my, or grown in my knowledge of over the years is Jesus is the true Israel. So Jesus is the fulfillment of all that Israel was, was meant to be, and he's the fulfillment of all the prophecies about Israel's role in the world. And what was that? What was Israel meant to be? And what's the role in the world? Well, they were meant to be a light to the Gentiles primarily. Now, they were meant to be, first of all, God's people, so they had a special communion and holiness with God. And, of course, Jesus had that. But through that, then, they were a light of salvation to the rest of the world, or, or that was what God had told them that they were to be. Hmm. And Jesus, of course, fulfilled that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the, the second second temptation here, Satan says, takes him to a high place and says, throw yourself down, right? right? And then the angels will rescue you and attend to you. What's, can you unpack this for us? You, you say that this is the sin of presumption. A temptation of presumption? Yeah, I, I think so. I think that's heavily involved. So Satan brings him to the high place of the temple. And I don't know if this was in a vision sequence or if it was a literal transportation. It doesn't really matter. Uh, the point is he wants Jesus to throw himself down so that he will be rescued by the angels. And it's not coincidentally takes him to the upper place of the temple. I mean, yeah, it was a couple hundred feet in the air. So you did have the height of that, but you have that in many places in southern Israel. Um, rather, it was, this is probably the most public place you would have in Israel. So if you wanted to be seen, if you wanted people to see, wow, this really is the Son of God, look what happened, this is where you would do it. And so I think the, the presumption comes in because he does quote a messianic psalm, Psalm 91, that he will, his angels will protect you from harm, basically is the idea of the psalm. And so he throws out, if you are the Son of God, do it. Show people. Show yourself. Prove to yourself that God is trustworthy, that he will keep his word. 
So it's presumption because it's, it's pushing God to do something that he said he would do, but it's on my, on my timetable, my way of doing it rather than God's. So rather than Jesus enduring the test, he would be testing God instead. Hmm. Uh, how, how do you see ways in which we do that nowadays? Uh, instead of waiting on God's time, we try to force God's hand in certain ways or as themes in this culture. I mean, do you notice that? Well, not quite the same dynamic, but some of the same principles involved. We, instead of sometimes enduring the test that God brings and turning to him, uh, we may shortcut it and we may presume upon God's grace, even though we know we're doing wrong. Well, God will still forgive me. God will help me. So to me, I mean, that first temptation, we obviously do. We attempt to meet our own needs in our own ways, apart from God's direction. And, uh, we, we do that, and then very often that leads into this presumption. You know, I'm going to see what God does. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the, the third temptation here is Satan shows him the whole area, the whole city or something, right? Right. Well, saying, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. All the kingdoms of the world and says, hey, I can give it all to you. Yeah. Okay, so... Just fundamental question here. How does Satan have the authority to give him? I mean, can he actually give Jesus that stuff if Jesus bows down and worships him? Or Yeah, so that's a good question because on the one hand, Satan is a liar, right? Yeah. <laughs> and just as he told Adam and Eve, they would receive kind of this greater dominion. You will be like gods. And it didn't turn out that way. Uh, so in the same way, I'm thinking Satan's first tactic is is lying so I won't necessarily believe it simply because Satan says it but on the other hand Jesus doesn't argue the point and in fact in the book of John he calls Satan the prince of this world so there does seem to be a sense in which Adam and Eve's sin has led all of us who are in Adam who are in Eve to be in a certain kind of bondage under the under the lordship again it, it has it's limited so it's small l because God has veto power but under the lordship of the evil one and I think the way that works is, is this I mean think about Adam and Eve so here God tells them you know this is what I've created for you and he, he goes to tell them you know six or seven times this is this is good what I have made and what I have placed you in and my role for you this is the good thing. And then Eve looks at the uh, the fruit, Adam, and after her and says, no, this is desirable. This is good. Responding to the words of the evil one. They could not disobey God's word without at the same time obeying the words of God's enemy. So there seemed to be something very profound. This wasn't just, okay, now we sin. But rather there's almost a switching of allegiance of humanity through them because of this. So there is a sense in which the New Testament does affirm that Satan has some sort of limited authority, limited both in scope and more in time, mm -hmm. because there will be an endpoint to that. Yeah. I, one, one thing that you said that really stood out to me 
was that you cannot disobey the word of God without obeying the word of the evil one. Yeah. And I think that uh, it's easy a lot of times to just kind of be on the fence with with things uh, as we don't take seriously what Jesus tells us to do. Um, we don't really, yeah, 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 that's important, but when we don't really take seriously that we should apply it and we should live into it, uh, in a sense, I think that that can be, like like you said, that can be obeying the word of the evil one. I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so, at least in, in many cases. So Jesus talks about the word, the flesh, and the devil, right? So the, the world and the flesh can have their own temptations on us. And I think these are especially things that become ingrained within us. But at the same time, there is direct temptation by demonic forces, devil forces. And the world and the flesh are going to be influenced by those things as well. They've been, we have lived in a world that has values contrary to God. Our flesh has been brought up and trained in this way. And so I think that's what Paul means when he says um, in Ephesians 2, he calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. You know, power of the air? I, I think it just means the spirit all around us has been so pervaded by Satan's mindset that we don't even see it. We don't know we're breathing that air. Hmm. Yeah. I'm kind of getting a, a little bit far from your question there. That's no, no, no. It's good, though. It's good. And I think it, it, it demonstrates the real need to take uh, Paul's word seriously when he says, don't conform to the patterns of the world. Right. Uh, sometimes we don't even realize how ingrained those are. Right. Uh, which is why we need to, the second part of that verse, is be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Yeah. And that's exactly what you're encouraging us to do here, which is to use the scripture to uh, transform and renew our minds. Uh, and in one way, here, we can fight against temptation. Right. So that's part of the renewing of the mind. Um, so, uh, of course, Satan, Satan is tempting Jesus in specific ways here. Um, but as you've kind of mentioned, a lot of those ways seem common to the experience of, of humans. Um, in their own ways, you know, wanting to take things into our own control and uh, wanting to, to, I think a lot of it kind of comes back to selfishness, wanting wanting things our way. Uh, selfishness and prideful autonomy. Autonomy being, I'm a law to myself. Hmm. So obviously, Satan's not going to tempt us in the exact same way. We have plenty of bread. And he doesn't need to take us to show us all the kingdoms of the world. He can buy us off for small change compared to that, right? But there are certain dynamics here um, that seem to be consistent. One, the temptation is in this area of mind. It's in the area of word. Whose word are we going to trust? Um, but along with that, there is this consistent idea. You see it here, but you also see it in, in Adam and Eve. If we follow Satan's way, it will be something good for us. It will elevate us. It will give us more fulfillment in life because mm. God's holy now. God's goodness cannot be trusted or his power, but usually his goodness. He's holding out on us. He wants to control us. He wants to bring us down. It's by rebellion. It's by doing our own thing that we find fulfillment. We find the life that we should have. 
And, and that seems to be the common dynamic. Um, whereas Jesus, his whole way of living is kind of exemplified in what he said, you know, your will be done, not mine. So he embraced his creaturehood. He embraced the fact that as a human, he was created by someone else. And obviously Jesus pre-existed. But in modeling that for us, he's shown us how to embrace the fact that I, I'm not autonomous. I didn't make myself. I'm made by someone else. I have, I have responsibility to him, but also he is able to give me, to have the rightful authority to tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah. Along with that though, if he is a good God, what he tells me to do will actually be for my best. So it's not that he wants to put me under his thumb, he wants to lift me up, but I have to trust that that's actually what's happening. Yeah, yeah. And as you're thinking about, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about, I'm like, wait a second, this is God in the flesh, you know, is he really submit, is he really uh, subject to the authority of God the Father in this? I was thinking about, I think it's in Ephesians, so it's always equal with God. He didn't consider that something to be really held on to and like right. it wasn't going to come to earth, but he submitted himself during that time. Mm -hmm. And maybe through eternity, I don't know. I mean, that's deeper than I can go today. <laughs> I don't know. But it, at least as a human, he submitted himself to the authority of God and acted as an example for us in that thing too. Right. Yeah. Um, so... Of course, temptation is something we all struggle with uh, in different well, ways. I don't anymore. But... Don't anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, obviously. <laughs> um, what I'm curious, what are some scriptures that you have found to be helpful as we fight against temptation? You say that the, that the war is oftentimes in our minds. Uh, I think is, is what you're saying in that we can, or we battle with words or something like yeah. that. Yeah. We battle words with words. We battle words. We with battle words. ideas with ideas. Okay, yeah, that's that's what I was thinking of. So, as we're battling words against words, you're encouraging us to uh, use scripture as those words that we battle the enemy's words. What scriptures have you found helpful uh, throughout your life, or even in this season of life, for battling the words of the enemy? Well, I think Satan, you know, he brings his words, his temptations. Obviously, he doesn't speak them audibly, but it doesn't matter. They're formed in, in the idea of concepts and words. And Jesus gives the example here. If anyone could have argued with Satan about with his own wisdom, it'd be Jesus. But instead, he, he responds to the words of the evil one with the words of God. He places himself under those and applies those in the situation. Uh, for myself, I, I mean, yeah, I'm 59, so... The things I struggle with now, different than when, when I was 19 or something. Um, one of the ones that's kind of pervasive and stayed is this idea, you know, you're not good enough. Um, you're not good enough. There are other people that have more giftings. There are other people that have more success. There are more, other people that are more disciplined, uh, more godly. They, they pray more, or they preach better or whatever. And uh, obviously that's shaped by my ministry, right? But other people are going to feel that in different ways. One of the uh, one of the passages that's helped me a lot is in John chapter 3. 
where John the Baptist, all right, I better look up, get the exact verse. I think it's verse 11 of John chapter 3. I've got it memorized. Great. Yeah, but I'll let you Thank you. look it up in your version. Um, in the context here is John the Baptist, his disciples are saying, hey, hey uh, Master, you know that guy, Jesus, you baptized? He's, he's over there and everyone's going to him. And that's how Jesus responds, or that's how John responds in verse uh, 27 of John 3. A person can receive only what's given to them from heaven. And, uh, you know, I thought that about that a lot over the years is I can either choose to have this attitude that whatever I have, good or bad, is simply what God has given to me. And what matters is not whether I have more or less than someone else, but how I respond to it. It's it's up to God to make people what he wants them to be or whatever gifts or talents he wants them to have. So that that's helped me a lot over the years. Just that idea, a person can receive only what's given to them from heaven. And of course, the other verses go along with that. Second uh, Corinthians four, you know, who makes you a different one from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? And if you embrace that, it takes away not only your comparisons. Where you feel bad about yourself with other people, but also your pride. Yeah. Because there are going to be people I could look down on. Well, they're not as gifted. They made all these kinds of bad decisions, you know. Um, what makes you different? Yeah. Yeah. So it's impossible to know if I was in someone else's shoes whether I'd do better or worse than them. And uh, so that that's helped me a lot. Uh, one of the ones, you know, as you get older, I think. I'm not sure about this, but I think sometimes anxiety becomes more of an issue because you, you care about things, but you realize as you get older, you don't have much control. <laughs> when you're younger, maybe sometimes you think you do. Um, so one of my favorite Psalms, and I've, I've preached on this more than once here at the church, is Psalm 131. And the reason I love this is because I won't going preaching the whole thing but basically he says it's only three verses my heart is not proud lord my eyes are not haughty i do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me but i have calm and quieted myself i'm like a weaned child with its mother like a weaned child i am content and then verse three oh israel people of god put your hope in the lord both now and forevermore and that idea too wonderful for me. I don't concern myself with things too wonderful. That word wonderful always means God things. Things that only God can do that don't belong to our ability to control as humans. And so if David, in the midst of all his responsibilities, can claim this, then any of us can, right? That it's not that I don't do or try great things for God. David certainly did. But he recognized that things like the results of his actions and his, and his ministry and his work, uh, how people perceived or judged that, um, you know, past failures, or more especially what will happen tomorrow, next year. These are things that as humans, we are not given to control. Mm -hmm. But our good father does. Yeah. 
And so we can be like a child just going to their parent and resting. A weaned child, because they don't want anything at that particular time except communion, companionship. Yeah. So that's another one, something. That's beautiful. I think I think anxiety is a, is a huge one in this day and age. I know with things being politically charged and with race relations being charged and with coronavirus still going on and some people are still really afraid of that, others are not. I mean, but there's all this, even last year, the economic difficulty. Right. It's really it's really easy to be anxious. Sure. And one, one scripture that's been really helpful for me throughout uh, years of struggling with not knowing, well, I mean, a couple. First one is when Jesus says, he says, aren't two sparrows sold for a nickel or whatever? <laughs> he's like, they don't, they don't go work and make money and all this stuff and provide for themselves. No, God provides for them. Right. It's like, look at the lilies of the field. Aren't they, aren't they clothed more beautifully than Solomon and all of his kingly splendor? Of course, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but the, but the point there is like, God is looking after and God is caring for the world mm -hmm. and he's not absent, he's there. Um, and then the other scripture that comes to mind is uh, Philippians 4, right. where he said, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. or with thanksgiving, through prayer and petition, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. And a couple pieces of this that really stand out are, uh, it says, the peace of God which transcends all understanding. For me, that's like, when I don't know how to, when I don't understand how to have peace, right. when I don't know what the right move is, God's peace can transcend hmm. even when I don't know. So there's a way that even without knowing the right answer, I can have peace, right. uh, the peace of God. And then also that, that Thanksgiving piece. You and I have talked a lot about gratitude and what gratitude does, mm -hmm. how it puts us into the proper relationship with God because we're creatures and God's God. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that. Um, yeah, I can. I mean, I don't want to get us too far afield, but um, one of the things Amy really has helped me to see because she started doing this before I did was keeping a gratitude journal or gratitude list. So in the mornings, I list 10 things. I, I'm thankful for it. It's never hard to find 10 things. It's sometimes hard to stop at 10. And of course, you don't have to. But when you do that, uh, you realize that even when you're anxious or frustrated about some situations, not the way you want, you can still see a lot of ways God's blessing and helping you. Yeah. And that gives you the assurance. Okay. He's on this. I can trust him. Yeah. I, I love how for our life group, uh, as Abby leads it a lot of times with the discussion, she's just better at leading discussion than I am. And so I like to tap into her expertise in that. But we always go around and start uh, with the bad, the good, and the God. Where, what was something rough about your week? What was something good about your week? And where did you see God uh, moving your week? And, and I love that because you can see God move. You know, you just see God's fingerprints over yeah. so much in situations. If you stop, yeah, yeah, if, if yeah, I definitely agree. And that's why I think the, the morning gratitude practice is really good because it gives you that space to kind of 
stop. Yeah. Um, so we talked about anxiety, and um, I know that there are other common sins that people or temptations that people have, and I I wanted to ask you what kind of scriptures you would recommend to people struggling with other uh, temptations in their in their lives. Um, anger, I think, is super prevalent. It's easy yeah. to be angry. If somebody's tempted towards anger, what scriptures do you think could be helpful for them to meditate on and use uh, to fight against that temptation? Well, one I preached a couple weeks ago on James 1, I think it's verse 16. Man's anger does not bring about the righteous life God requires. Mm -hmm. um, actually, in the Greek, it's, it's a little bit more generic. Man's anger does not bring about God's righteousness. And it's a reminder to me, if we think about it, that my anger is not constructive. <laughs> right. Uh, there may be a type of anger that is constructive for a while, but that's probably not what I'm feeling. Human anger, apart from God, is is never going to bring something good. But I, I think one of the ones that's probably helped me uh, the most in, in terms of anger would be uh, first first few verse, verses blah, 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 of Genesis 4. Cain and Abel. And they each bring their offering to God. They have a different mindset and spirit as they bring it. God accepts uh, Abel's offering and he rejects Cain. Cain's mad. He's mad at God and he's probably mad at his brother. Uh, he is. <laughs> yeah, because he goes and kills him. He can't kill God, but he can kill his brother. Anyway, but before he does that, God appeals to him. And he says, Why? Why are you angry? If you do the right thing, won't you be accepted? Sin is lurking at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. And that that one question, look, why am I angry? I mean, it's kind of the same thing you ask Elijah. What are you doing here, Elijah? Why, why are you in this morass of self-pity? The same thing you asked Jonah. Jonah was mad. Jonah, are you right to be mad? You know, Jonah chapter 4. So, just that asking that question, right? What exactly is causing this anger within me? Usually forces me to admit that I'm angry at someone because they did not give me the attention or respect or whatever. Or I'm angry at the situation because it's not trending to bring the right things, the, the scenario that I want to happen, right? Yeah. And so I'm angry because the, the future reality I want to happen is threatened or maybe it's just I know it's not going to happen. And it forces you to examine, okay, was that really from God or is it maybe a good thing that that's not coming about? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think uh, a scripture that comes to my mind is uh, Ephesians 4.25. And he's, Paul says... Uh, um, let me see actually it's verse 26 he says in your anger do not sin don't let the sun go down while you're still angry yeah. and don't give the devil a foothold uh, I think asking why are we angry is really good so there, there can be times when we're righteously anger, angry of course scripture talks about that um, but John Calvin says something along the lines of righteous anger is quickly soured when it's turned against our brothers. Yeah. Because 
righteous anger is against the sin and the brokenness in the world and the things that break the heart of God. Right. Um, but when it's turned against our other people because of hurt pride or one of these things, it's it turns into unrighteous anger. Yeah. And um, that piece where it says, don't give the devil a foothold, as I was preparing to preach over this this past week, um, at, a, at a different church where I was guest speaking, I think it was John Stott who said something like, uh, the devil loves to lurk around angry people yeah. because he wants to exploit the situation and their anger yeah. and use it for his own purposes. Yes. And so remembering this as we're angry, okay? Uh, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, James 1, asking why we're angry. And then to remember that Satan wants to use this for his purposes. Yes. And this actually was helpful. I, I was angry this morning at a particular situation. Uh, Abby and I were both kind of angry at the same thing that was happening. And I was like, okay, Abby, Abby, we got to be careful not to be too angry, you know, we, because the devil wants to exploit this and turn us against those people. Right. Um, Do you think we have time to talk about? Let's do one or two more. Okay, a couple, couple other sins that might be common, things that people might feel tempted towards. Yeah, just a way of illustration to Yeah, so we talked about anxiety, we talked about anger. Um, you, you, you talked a little bit about comparison and feeling. Yeah, yeah we did talk about that. Um, how about impurity? When people are tempted towards lust or pornography or different things like this uh, sexual temptation mm. what, what would be some scriptures that you could uh, help encourage people to meditate on and use as weapons yeah I, I think two have helped me um, and they may not be ones you normally think of they're not commands to not do these things but uh, well there's one more I'll, I'll get to that one is in the um, Matthew 4, the Beatitudes, the pure in heart will see God. And uh, I think Hebrews echoes that, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And uh, I was reading a guy writing his own article. He wrote an article anonymously about his struggle and how that really changed him because it helped him to see that there was a pull, there was a good thing from becoming more pure. It wasn't just, okay, don't do this and this and this, but rather by becoming increasingly pure, he would be able to see God more clearly. And maybe we don't know how that works, but maybe we can think of some things. You know, we're not clouded by sin. Um, I think we see God in other people, right? They're made in God's image. Uh, but if I if I crowded my mind with wrong images, then I'm not going to see that. I'm going to interpret that in sexual terms. Um, so that idea of having something to pull you forward instead of just a bunch of rules say, okay, don't do this and this and this, I, I think it's really important. And then another verse that has kind of popped in my mind with this issue is, is in John, 1 John 4, you know, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave himself for us. And then he goes on, we should do the same. Brothers, let us love each other in the same way. Yeah. And you can't you can't love and lust at the same time, right? Right. 
but rather, again, it's that, that idea of a life dominated by true, um, true love, giving towards another like Christ did, rather than just receiving whatever stimulus and pleasure I can from other people. So, and I think the last one is probably, uh, it's also in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5. Jesus says, you know, in the context of adultery, the warning there, he says, so if your right hand offends you, cut it off. <laughs> well, obviously, he's speaking symbolically. You can still lust without your right hand or your right eye, as he goes on to say. Mm -hmm. But the idea is rather, uh, do what you have to do, even losing some valuable things in order to stay on the right track in this. Mm -hmm. And uh, so those are three that have helped me as I kind of reflected upon them. Yeah, I, I think with this particular temptation area, uh, as you're speaking, I was thinking, gosh, this, this is not, I mean, this, this seems very similar to the way that Satan tempted Jesus in the sense that he wanted Jesus to not trust God. And I feel like with sexual temptation and purity, uh, a lot of it stemmed stems down to kind of like are we willing to trust God in the way that God has created us uh, in his plan for us in, in our lives do we trust that over you know wanting to make something happen for ourselves and take right. it into our own hands yeah using our own power mm -hmm. to fulfill what we think are our needs right then right just like he tempted you know make those films better yeah yeah I think you're right I'm glad you brought that up yeah um how about, uh, I, I know that this is one that uh, is very insidious in a sense, um, but what about people, what, what about, I mean, this is something that I struggle with as well. All of these are things that I struggle sure. with and we probably all struggle with to some degree, but uh, just, I know one of the seven deadly sins is laziness, mm -hmm. slothfulness. And um, particularly what I'm thinking is there are ways in which we can be slothful in the name of just like oh, I want to be careful how I say this because <laughs> it's good to it's good to rest obviously sure. rest and Sabbath is important but I'm thinking more about just wasting time on, on useless once again it's not always bad but at the beginning of the sermon series you mentioned Americans tendency to overindulge kind of uh, in, in, in media right. and TV and social media and so what about you know if we're feeling this temptation with media and we know that maybe we're engaging in it too much um, what would be some scriptures that could help us uh, maybe have that have a more appropriate place in our life mm -hmm. instead of giving into that all the time well Proverbs talks about these things, self-control, self-discipline, diligence, quite a bit. So there are quite a few proverbs. I find in my own life, it's it's less about that, to be honest, than about something pulling me ahead and giving me a purpose. Mm -hmm. And again, that you know, kind of relates back to 1 John 4, that God loved us and therefore he gave. So for me, and maybe for other people, the only thing that really helps my natural tenderness towards towards laziness, the only thing that helps counteract that really in the long term is having a vision of what my work 
can do to actually bless and help people. Mm. Without that, I, it's just a bunch of rules. You know, I'm trying to become a less lazy person. I'm going to be more disciplined. I'm going to get ahead. And, uh, well, you know, good luck. You, if you do, it just leads to more pride. But it's still self-focused. But rather, I, again, it's, it's when I get this idea of myself living for other people, that tends to put a little bit of curb on what I could normally do, just waste time mindlessly. So it sounds like, almost like, almost like, um, like think about the things that can maybe be more productive or purpose in life giving think about those things from scripture and then uh use those scripture verses to kind of give us the why behind the disciplines that we want to do instead or something like that yeah i think we have to have something to pull us pull us forward uh to have a vision why should i waste time <laughs> i mean okay i probably know i shouldn't but unless i have a vision pull me forward that shows me something better than whatever i fulfillment i think i'm getting watching this show again or spending another hour online unless I have that vision I'm just going to probably revert to that yeah I mean some people don't some people are naturally disciplined and go get them I'm not mm. so mm. well good well thank you for sharing some some thoughts on that um, yeah I I want to close here there, there's one verse that kind of I I found very meaningful to me that I wanted to share okay and that comes from 2 Corinthians 12 verses 9 and 10 and um, it's Paul sharing some of his struggles and he says three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me but he said to me and this is this is the part that's really helpful he said my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness and then Paul goes on to say therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake I delight in my weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties for when I'm weak then I'm strong. And and I just imagine, I mean, Jesus, this is, I feel like at the heart of Jesus being tempted in the desert that uh, the grace of God is sufficient for him and he doesn't need what Satan's offering him. And so as I face struggles, um, this has been an important verse to me that God's grace is sufficient for me in this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Well, thanks for taking the time. I hope yeah. this is helpful to people. Yeah, me too. Me too. So if it is, let us know because yeah. uh, it takes a little while to do this, but it, it's something we want to do if it's helpful. Yeah, and, and maybe in the comments, uh, if you want to share verses that have been helpful for you, uh, related to particular temptations, please do that because uh, as you were sharing, I was thinking, oh man, those, that's such, those are such great verses as I'm struggling with, with those things. So to go back and to be more intentional about using the word as, as uh, a weapon. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks. <laughs>